Psalm 25 is where we're going to be if you want to turn there. We'll be there in just a few minutes, probably about seven. Um, if you've not brought your Bible, you can follow along on the wall today. It'll be there, um, or you can look with somebody sitting beside you. But right in about the middle of the Old Testament, you'll find the book of Psalms. This particular psalm is going to be written by uh, a man named David. And we'll get to him in just a minute, all right? But today I want to talk to you about being the world's greatest, all right? Our theme for this week is being a, a rebel at heart or having a rebel heart, okay? And so we're going to talk about being the world's greatest as it relates to a rebel heart from Psalm 25. But before we get there, all kinds of people lay claim to being the world's greatest something, right? Um, and so I want you to help me out a little bit. Feel free to speak up, interact here together with us this morning. When you think of the world's greatest singer, who do you think of? World's greatest singer, Celine Dion, beautiful voice. I heard Elvis. I was waiting on that one somewhere. All right, Elvis had a way of almost seducing people with his voice. They would just, he could swoon them, I guess. Frank Sinatra, got a good little voice. Michael Jackson, all right? Yeah, he's known as king of pop, and so he'd be a guy that has a great voice. Anybody else you think of a great singer? Ray Charles? No? It'll come to you. Yeah. <laughs> Just shout it out at me and we'll know what's happening. I know how that feels. You've got to get it out once it comes to you, so don't hesitate. Bocelli? Is that who we're thinking of? Andre Bocelli? Okay. Landry? Adele? Okay. Ma'am? Guy Penrod? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I kept waiting for somebody to say, the people on stage this morning, they are the best singers I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> no, we know better. We appreciate you singing along with us. It's not here to, uh, we just want to worship, right? That's what we do. Anybody else? Greatest singer? Yes. Oh, man. I'm not calling you guys anymore. Taylor Swift, all right? So I've got Michael Jackson, Taylor Swift, and Adele out of the penthouse. All right, so they, they do have some just amazing talent singing-wise. Um, we'll talk later, girls. All right, so here's some world's greatest, and maybe you would identify with some of these, maybe not. So you've listed some of these already. Michael Jackson was one, actually. Aretha Franklin, um, Elvis, Ray Charles, Paul McCartney, Freddie Mercury. Right? These are just listed in the world as some of the greatest singers. Okay? And so some of those we mentioned, you may not think they're the greatest. All these are subjective, but some people could make a claim for, hey, they're probably the greatest or one of the greatest singers ever. All right, what about baseball? Greatest baseball player ever. Babe Ruth, Ozzie Smith, all right? 
stand mute you? Did I hear Big Mac? Mark McGuire? Anybody else? Greatest baseball player ever? Brock, DiMaggio, what else? Holiday? Man? I'm sorry? Mickey Mantle? Who'd you say? Ted Williams? All right. So if you guys would go Google greatest baseball player ever, most of who you've named would come up in about the top ten there. All right. So you've listed a lot of the, a lot of the people there. I uh, heard Babe Ruth. I don't know if we heard Willie Mays or not. I don't remember that. Lou Gehrig. Ty Cobb. Hank Aaron. All right. So lots of names there that mention greatest ever. You know, and it kind of takes you back to a place in time where you were listening on the radio or you're watching on TV, you're at a ballpark, and you're like, man, that's, I've never seen anybody throw or run, be able to perform the way they perform. They're, they've got to be the greatest ever. All right, what about boxer? Greatest boxer ever. All right, he thought he was, wasn't he? I mean, he, everybody knew that he would say that about himself. You know, I'm the greatest ever. He could walk the walk. You're right, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to say that to him uh, you know, in his younger days, I don't think you're the greatest ever. Yeah, I think he would prove that. Yeah. <laughs> when you came to, you would know. Somebody else, can you think of a boxer, greatest boxer ever? Sugar Ray Leonard? Oh, Vander Holyfield? Okay. Oscar De La Hoya? All right. Mike Tyson? Sugar Ray Leonard? Joe Lewis? All right. Joe Frazier. So lots of great boxers there, and so a lot of that could be up for debate. I mean, we could talk any sport or any, any kind of thing. I'll go one, two more with you. Uh, what about an actor? Greatest actor or actress ever? I'm sorry? Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no. Uh, that's good. Ma'am? Cary Grant? Good, yep. John Wayne, all right. Harrison Ford, okay. We see how it works there, yeah. <laughs> Denzel Washington, yeah. Robert De Niro. Ma'am? Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, so you've mentioned several here. Some other in this top ten, there's uh, Marlon Brando, Tom Hanks, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman. All right, all these others you had mentioned. All right, now we're going to get personal. World's greatest mom. <laughs> if that's you, raise your hand. World's greatest mom. All right. <laughs> I believe that there are probably some people in this room who have some cards stored away in a box or a coffee mug or a t-shirt that says world's greatest mom on it, right? Somewhere you've been told that by a child uh, that you're the world's greatest mom. What about world's greatest dad? Anybody? I know I'm first, so I'm not sure what place you come in, but... <laughs> Uh, I could own that well, right? Isn't it awesome that people in your life just think that you're the greatest thing ever? I mean, they just, 
can see your weakness and still know that you love them and care about them and say, man, the world's greatest. World's greatest mom or world's greatest dad. I think those are two great claims to lay, that have laid your direction. So all these things are subjective, right? I mean, there's lots of things you could think about. Um, you can make an argument for every person in their field. Uh, but there is a claim that we can make today. And we all fit this claim, and we're the world's greatest at it. Anybody have a guess? We're the world's greatest. I thought I heard it. What was it? What was it? Sinner. Wow. Let's put a damper on things, Pastor. Right? We've had fun here talking about actors and actresses and boxers and all this sort of musicians. Now you're going to talk to us about being the world's greatest sinners. Yeah, I think this morning, if I could have went out and had hats and shirts made, we could all put them on during the service looked at one another and go, you have earned that, right? You are the world's greatest sinner. And we could put the bumper sticker on our car and we could get the coffee mug so every time we sip coffee or our beverage of choice, we would say, I, that's me. I have fulfilled all the qualifications to be known as the world's greatest sinner. Now, you might be thinking for a minute, really? World's greatest? World's greatest? Like, I think sometimes when it comes to sin, we like to categorize ourselves or maybe put ourselves in little camps. Right? Maybe you don't do this or maybe you have, but let's talk through a few little camps for a minute and, uh, and then we'll progress into this message. But you've got your camp of the not-so-bad sin people, kind of like the social sins. You know, so we're the people that say, I'm not doing that. I mean, I may be doing this, but I'm not doing that. Right? So you've got kind of your social sins, which seem to be acceptable. They're okay, I know I shouldn't, but I still do. You know, my bad, bad on me, like it's not a big deal. So you've got those group of people. Then you've got kind of this middle camp, which would be more of your um, perversions, more maybe of your, of your violent crime kind of camp. That's why we go, I'm in this one and not that one, right? I might be doing this, but I'm not doing that. And then you've got this third camp over here, which is like, we don't even want to talk about it in church kind of camp, Right? These are the secret, like the worst ever sins that could be committed. We don't even want to talk about it because if we talk about it, we think it's going to give it some kind of power or voice. And so we've got that most gross, most violent, most vile camp. All right, so which camp would you put yourself in? Camp number one, social center. Camp number two, little worse but not worst ever. Or camp number three, don't tell anybody that I'm in this camp. All right, I would say we would probably be somewhere between number one or number two. And so let's just try to help ourselves out here by putting some, you know, maybe some qualifications to each of these camps. So here's the first camp. Uh, for example, I might say, okay, I know that I haven't taken as good of care of myself as I should have. You're like, really, Pastor, you're going to go there? But I haven't stolen somebody's identity. All right? And if you didn't know, that's a pretty big deal. Like to go try to reclaim your identity and get yourself back, it's a huge process. It's a mess. So, okay, okay. You know, I'm not taking that great care. My, my health's not perfect because of some poor choices I've made. But I'm not this person over here. You're saying this makes me a, a social center? I'm saying that makes us a social center. Right? Where we become sometimes acceptable with things that God has blessed us with and, and doing things that aren't necessarily God honoring with it. So maybe we're in that camp and we would say, I just haven't taken as good a care of as myself as I should have. Maybe we're over here and we're saying, I know, 
I know I shouldn't say this about this person, but it just has to be said. You've just got to know. And, I, and then we tag it as Christians with, just pray for them. Right? You wouldn't believe what I heard or what I saw, and they're such a terrible person. I would never, no, 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 no. And then, well, let's just pray for them. All right, which is, we're just comparing. All right, we're still at little social camp. So we might say, I'm not going to murder somebody. I'm not going to murder somebody. But yeah, I can participate in, you know, gossip or tearing people down. You know, nowhere in the scriptures will you find where it's appropriate to tear somebody down. Never. I don't care what they've done to you. I don't care how they've treated you. I don't care what they've taken from you. What they said to your kids. How they treated your spouse. We never have any right or privilege to speak back in any way that's less than Christ-like. Never. But sometimes we say, well, I'm here and I'm doing that. I'm just not doing this. I'm not murdering or I'm not stealing from somebody. Maybe I'm putting you in a camp that you don't belong in. Maybe you're way outside all these camps. I think for me, sometimes I like to wallow around in that little social center camp. Or what about this? I know I shouldn't turn in this work as my own because I didn't really do it. But I'm going to put my name at the top anyway and submit it to my teacher and at least get a grade for the assignment. Okay? You ever done that? You ever borrow somebody's work? Is a polite way of saying it. Take something that wasn't your own, you turned it in as though it was. You know, we might call that cheating. So, okay, yeah, maybe I wallow around in that some, but I didn't sell my neighbor's dog. Okay, that's pretty bad to me. Like to go hide, hijack your neighbor's dog and, uh, and sell it sounds like a pretty perverted mind, uh, to say the least. And so that would be that kind of camp right there. So sometimes in my way of thinking, I may think I'm not the world's greatest sinner because I haven't done something that would put me in this camp or that camp. But really we're looking at this all wrong. Right? It's not about the number of sins. Right? So we've probably committed tens of thousands of sins. Would you agree with that? Some of us who are a little older, we've committed more than maybe those who are a lot younger. But we've committed a lot of sins. So it's not about, hey, I've got, you know, 200,037. And you've got 300,015, so you're a greater sinner than I know. We're missing it if we're starting to quantify it. So it's not about the number. It's also not about the nature of sin, which would be the whole thing of it's not that bad. So your sin is worse because you killed somebody than my talking bad about somebody behind their back. Those are two totally different things. Well, at the root, they're not. They're both the exact same thing, which would qualify us then to be the world's greatest sinners. Now, truth of the matter is, different sins bring different consequences, right? But at the foundation of every sin is the same word, and it's this word we're going to talk about today. It's the word rebellion. So I don't want us to miss the point, at least thus far, that all of us could qualify ourselves as the world's greatest sinners. So it's the foundation of our sins. So I want you to think of it this way. Going back to our camps, we might say... Just to prove how silly we think sometimes. Okay, I'm willing to talk bad about somebody. I'm not going to commit murder. But I'm definitely not going to eat fruit. Did you know that eating fruit was worse than murder? <laughs> right? You guys eat fruit? Are you serious? How despicable. You say, where are you going with this, Pastor? The Father, to His two created, said, don't eat the fruit. He didn't say, don't go murder, don't hijack a bank, 
Don't go out and do something perverse. All he said was what? Don't eat fruit. I mean, he qualified that as the worst thing they could possibly do. See, at the root of it for all of us, what makes us the world's greatest sinners is this root of rebellion. And so it wasn't about the fruit. It's not about the murder. It's not about the talking bad. Sin is sin. The heart of it, which makes us all the same. And by all, I mean anyone who's ever walked the planet other than Jesus Christ. We're all rebellious at heart. And if you don't think so, just think if, if you've ever sinned, the very definition of sin is to rebel against God. Okay? That's all it means. It's a rebellion. It's a, to uh, willingly submit yourself to any other authority than God, which could be yourself or anything other than God himself. And so let's prove this a little more. What happens when you tell a child, don't touch something? They touch it. Right? And so we try the whole reverse psychology thing. Go ahead and touch it. See what happens. They still touch it. You're right. They, we, what about when we didn't do something that we were told to do as a child? You ever do something you're not told to do? Or don't do something you are told to do? Yeah? So the reason we don't do that is because we are we're rebellious at heart. Right? That's just the truth of the matter. What about when, uh, when your parents said be home at 11 and you got home at 11.05? Anybody do that? Just me? All right, just me. Why did I do that? You say, oh, it's poor planning or stoplights or I had to get gas. No, no, no. What it is is you're rebellious at heart. And so I could walk in the door and see my mom upstairs, and as I start to make my way downstairs, I could look up at her and like, that's right. It's 11.05. I'll come home when I want to come home. Like I'm dropping the mic, Boom. And then my mom would say, and that's right, you're grounded for the next two months. <laughs> Bigger mic drop, right? <laughs> Boom. Next time, be home at 11, son. Ooh. We're rebellious at heart. Don't go there, don't say that, don't act that way, and then we go and say and do because we're rebellious at heart. The sign says 35 miles an hour, how fast do you drive? Don't lie. All right. <clears throat> Why? Why do people drive 50 and 35? Because we're rebellious at heart. We have a rebellious nature, folks. Why do people weave through the, the railroad arms that come down over the tracks to keep us from crossing the tracks because a train's coming? You've never done that. Because we're rebellious at heart. Why do people pass school buses when the stop sign is sticking out and students are loading the bus? It's because we are rebellious at heart. Why are people out walking streets, throwing rocks through windows, tearing up businesses that aren't theirs right now in this country because they are rebellious at heart? They're no different than you and I. And we look at that and gasp. Oh, we're in this camp. I would never do that. Yeah, you have. And so have I. We're rebellious at heart. We're the world's greatest sinners. Remember when Paul wrote in Romans, he said there's no one good. How many? No, not one. Not even one person. The rich young guy came to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops before he even answers the question. He says, why do you call me good? 
Like, what do you know about good? Are you saying that I am good, which would make me God since no one else is good? He's calling him out right from the get-go. So that includes you and I. It's going to include this guy we're going to talk about here today. Um, Maybe a longer introduction than seven minutes. But the rest will proceed just to, uh, to calm you. Looking at a man named David, rebellious heart. If I'm rebellious at heart and so are you, we're in one of the greatest battles of our lifetime. So how do we battle? We're going to learn about that today. All right, reminding ourselves from Psalm 25. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. Uh, if not, we'll, we'll read from the wall today as well. All right, so in you, Lord my God, this is David. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. And so I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. And so show me your ways, Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. And do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, not my ways, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, and therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his way. And all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, then, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. What is David saying of himself? He's the world's greatest. Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. He knew what was going on. He understood who he was. We need to do the same here. And so if you struggle with rebellion, and we all do, and we've proved it, then how do we battle against it? That's what we're talking about today. Right? I've proven that on my own I mess it up, and I do that consistently. You know, there's all sorts of things on this planet that I cannot do well. Almost everything on this planet I can't do well. But one thing I am proficient in is sinning. I could write the book. I could teach the class. I could star in the movie. I could be it, world's greatest. And you could do the same. And so thankfully, God has given us hope beyond ourselves to be able to battle this rebellion. So three things we'll highlight as we progress this morning uh, through the first 11 verses of this, of this chapter. And so one is this, to battle rebellion, let's learn to trust in God and not in ourselves. Learning to trust in God and not in myself and not in and yourself. And so here's the deal. David had learned that the hard way. Did he not? I mean, we know David as a man after God's own heart. We know David as a shepherd. We know David as the anointed king. We know David doing all these great things. But we also know David to be a guy who had a rebellious heart. Right? He took something that belonged to another man in his lust of a woman. Right? He committed a crime, several crimes, in the secrecy of a plot to have a man killed and then having this man killed in all sorts of ways David wasn't great, a great father all the time. And so when we look at him, we can see that he had learned the hard way what it was to be rebellious at heart. And so when he's writing here, I'm going to trust in God, he's writing from his own personal experience. And I think we could write these same words this morning. Whatever we want to do, we want to be sure that we're trusting in God. So here's what he says, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. That speaks from somebody who has some experience. I'm not trusting in me. If I trust in me, I lust. If I trust in me, I murder. If I trust in me, I lie. 
If I trust in me, I do whatever I can to get what I want. I've been down that road. I'm not trusting in me. It's you, God, that I put my trust. And so I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Now, when we back this up here just a minute, David was not suggesting that um, God could let him down. Okay, I trust in you, don't let me be put to shame. It wasn't that he was saying, I trust in you, now make sure you take care of me. Make sure you honor me, make sure that you, I'm telling the world I'm trusting you, so make sure you come through. When David says, don't let me be put to shame here, he's saying, don't let me go back to that rebellious heart. Don't let me turn from this trust in you. And we know that because when you go to the next verse, he says, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to what? Shame, okay? And so he's clarifying, it's not on your end, it's on my end. And so I'm begging for you to help me not trust in me, but trust in you. You are my God, in you I trust. So one thing he knows to be true of God is that he's good and that he's right. And whatever he does, whenever he does, it will always be good and it will always be right. And so don't let my confidence be shaken. Don't let me return to myself. I'm a great sinner and I've proven that. I want to live to honor you, okay? Verse 7 says, Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. We're not going to do this. But if we could, can you remember some sins of your youth that you wouldn't like anybody else to know? I mean, if it was ours today to come before everybody assembled and lay out every sin we could ever remember ever committing, would you be excited about that? Would somebody suddenly get a bad stomach ache? I think I'm coming down with <coughs> something. I think I need to leave, Pastor. Don't remember the sins of my youth. Don't remember my rebellious ways. All right? See, because my sin speaks against me, but your mercy, it speaks for me. And so I'm trusting in you and what you've done for me, not in what I have done. So I remember my rebellious ways. You don't remember them. Remember me that I belong to you and that I trust in you. One thing, though, about our sins of the past is that they can remind us of how true the statement is, we're the world's greatest sinner. Right? I don't have to look very far in my past to see that I have sinned. And so when I look there, I see, man, I dropped the ball there. Call it what you want. I made a mistake. I just didn't measure up. I didn't meet the requirement. The short end of it is I rebelled and I sinned. And so I don't have to look very far to see that I'm a sinner. And so my remembrance, you know, sometimes we'd say, I wish I could forget my sin like God forgets my sin. One of the good things about remembering your sin is that it drives you to a Savior. It reminds you that you and I can't do this on our own and we need something beyond ourselves to trust in, someone to trust in. And his name is God and we see this in David as well. And so he says there, forgive my iniquity. Though my sin is great, forgive my iniquity. So we are the world's greatest sinners. One of the ways we can battle against our sin is to learn to trust in God, not ourselves. So when you feel that tendency coming on to participate in something that you know is not God-honoring, We've got to lurk, look to God. Pray, ask God to help me in this situation. I trust in you here, okay? If I get involved in this conversation, if I get involved in this action, it's going to be all me. And I can't do that. 
So I need you here. I need you to be involved. I need you to be at work. I need you to be in charge. Learn to trust in God rather than trusting in what you think you know that you don't know about yourself. Number two, to battle rebellion here, let's remain focused on God all day long. Remaining focused all day long. You guys see this podium? I mean, how exciting would it be just to focus on this all day long? If we said even for the next five minutes, how many of you would get bored? Like, I just can't do it. Like, we could probably start out before long and you'd just be daydreaming. You wouldn't even know it. You're looking around and you're dozing off. And I'd be doing the same thing, right? So how can I focus on someone that I can't see? What do you mean remain focused on God all day long? Like, that seems really tough for me. And so maybe I give God five minutes of my morning or 30 minutes of my morning. I'm focused then, but you're saying all day, all the time? How? What are you talking about? What do you mean remain focused on God all day long? Well, here's how David did it. As he's praying, he says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. So he's asking God to show up. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. And so if I'm wanting to focus on God all day long, it means, number one, I'm going to seek to know the Lord better. And so I'm going to ask Him to put within me a craving to know Him more, to understand His ways. Right? So the psalmist David also wrote in Psalm 51, um, creating me a pure heart. What's it mean to create something? That's right. Cause something to exist that didn't exist there before. Okay? What didn't exist there before? A pure heart. What can I create on my own? A pure heart. And so David's praying and he's calling out, you've got to create this in me. You've got to form this in me. I can't change me. I am a rebel at heart and I'm a great rebel at heart and so I need you to work. So when I'm focused on God all day long, what I'm saying is I want to know you better. And if I don't have that hunger or craving within me to know you better, then create it in me. Cause me to hunger. Help me to know Psalm 8 that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Help me to know that that's really true. You've got to do that. The thing about it is God will. To focus means we're going to seek to know Him better. And so He prays, show me your ways. It means also that I want to live to fulfill your plans. Like, what's the goal of this day for you? What do you hope to get accomplished today? Is it anything God-oriented? Is it anything that is kingdom-focused? Is it anything that is gospel-driven or Christ-centered? Or is it I gotta get, I've got all sorts of little things I've got to get done today? And what's the intention of our heart beating or our lungs breathing this day? Am I really longing to fulfill his plans? David wanted to fulfill God's plans and he knew as a rebel he couldn't do it. His rebellious heart wouldn't let him. And so he prays, teach me. Don't just show me who you are, but now teach me your path. It's like lay it out before me. Right In Proverbs they write, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you'll acknowledge him, what will he do? He will guide you in his path. He will lead you on the straight path. And so here David knows that, and so he's crying out to God as the greatest rebel ever. Lord, teach me your paths. 
Teach me your paths. Is that within you this morning? I mean, does your heart beat like for the glory of God? For the glory of God. And the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is for the glory of God. The reason I showed up here today is for the glory of God. It's not about the name of the people here, the name on the sign. That stuff's not very important. It's about the glory of God. Why do we give generously in an offering plate? Is it about me or the glory of God? Why do I battle in a relationship that's hard? Is it for me or is it for the glory of God? Why do I bail? Because it's me or am I bailing for the glory of God? Like, Everything about us has got to be driven by, motivated by the glory of God. And where we fall short of that, then it's, Lord, teach me, hone me, correct me, because my rebellious heart really wants to wander. That's part of what it means to focus on God all day long. It also means that we're going to consistently seek to be taught by His Word. And He says, your Word is truth, so teach me. Okay? Who's He asking to teach Him? He's asking God, his Father, to teach him, okay? So make sure we get this clear. God's blessed people with the ability to teach. He's given the spiritual gift of teaching to some people. But the truth of the matter is this. Where the Holy Spirit's not teaching, it doesn't matter what's being said. Nobody's learning. No life change that matters is happening. There is no transformation that takes place apart from the teacher. You say, well, then I don't need to go to church. I'll just sit at home and let the teacher teach me. Well, we'd be neglecting other parts of the Word as well. And we'd be neglecting the spiritual gift that God's given some just to open their mouth and share what's true so the Spirit can take the truth and change me and change you. Right? So let's make sure that we've got that clear. You can read a book. You know, I was in a bookstore yesterday. A lady came in and she was asking for a particular author. And she just got a new book out and I just I can't live if I don't have this new book I mean this guy has changed my life and the way that he teaches and what he says is just it's so good for I just got to have this guy's writing nothing wrong with people writing but there's something wrong with me finding my confidence in a person when that person's not God and there's something wrong happening when I'd say my development is based on a man rather than the Spirit. Right? So I'm not going to call his name, but it's not anybody that I would encourage you or me to really even follow. Put 10 in, you get 10,000 back. I promise you. Trust me. It works. And you can't outgive God. We know that to be true. And he, he has deep pockets, so he never runs empty or never runs dry. And he's promised that it's more blessed to give than to receive, and he's promised to bless those who use the gifts, talents that he's given to multiply that in return. But that doesn't necessarily mean if you sow a gift of 10 bucks, you're going to get back 10,000 in the mail this week. I'm sure it's happened. I know there's been times in my own life where I've prayed God's supply a need as we've given. And God in return has supplied that need in a random way that we didn't know anything about. But that was God-driven. That wasn't man-driven. David says, I trust in your word, so teach me. 
All right? I trust in your word, so teach me. And so when you gather here, church, we were talking this morning in, uh, in our Bible study. This isn't my platform to share my preference or opinion. If that was true, I would have zero confidence to stand before you with any kind of authority. Right? The platform that's here is to share God's word. And that's where we get our confidence and our boldness and authority because God has said so, not this man. So don't take my word. Go look it up for yourself if you have a question. We'll talk about it later. But we've got to make sure that we're trusting and looking to the true teacher. And what I love about what David prays here, let's check this out. So he's just prayed for God to show up. He's just prayed for God to guide him. He's just prayed for God to teach him. And he's going to do that because he knows some things to be true about God. What does he know to be true about God? Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, what does he do? He instructs sinners in his way. Okay? Who's the sinner in this story? David. And he's a great sinner. And so he's just asked for the Lord to teach him, give me instruction, guide me. And he does so knowing what he writes just a couple verses later. I'm asking this because this is what you do. You instruct sinners. And that's me. And I need help in my ways. And so I thank you for your instruction. He also talked about asking him to be guided. Show me your way or teach me your way. And so he does so knowing that God will actually do it. He guides the humble in what is right and he teaches them his way. And so I trust in you, my God, not myself. Humble myself before you. Teach me, show me, guide me. He's praying here for God to show up. And so David learned how to battle his rebellion. You've got to battle with prayer. You've got to battle in prayer with confidence that God's going to show up and do what he said and what he's promised he's going to do. But we do this by focusing on God. What's your words say? Who are you? What's your plan for my life? How do I go about fulfilling that? Change my desires. Create in me the kind of person, heart, desire, purpose that you want to have in me. And then root out all this Corey stuff. Anybody need to be rooted out? All right. Maybe you don't, but I definitely do. And uh, the theme in our house so far this year, from my mouth to my family, has been I'm not the man that I want to be. And I'm not happy where I am. Not that I'm dissatisfied or that I'm living in some sort of sin. There's just a hunger in me to know God better. I want to be transformed more. So I pray the moment that I stop being that man is the moment that I see him face to face. I pray that never happens while I still have breath on this side of that moment. All right, and third and last this morning. To battle rebellion. And these aren't the ways, but this is what David was doing. He trusted in God. He focused on him all day long. Okay, not like staring in the heavens or staring at the clouds like, God, where are you? No, he's praying and he's knowing with confidence that God's going to speak to him. He knows that God will guide his path. And so he's submitting to the Spirit to teach him and to lead him. And then here he's going to remember that God's plans are better than our own. You ever thought you had a better idea than God? You know, sometimes we pray and God doesn't answer. And we're like, okay, God, you, know, you put me on pause, hold. I'm going to put you on hold for a little bit and try something. And if it doesn't work, then I'll come back, reconnect, and we can pick up the conversation. Right? Sometimes it works that way. Because we think we're either too impatient to wait or we've come up with a better solution. So what gets my rebellious heart in trouble is when I think that I know better. And it's always that way, right? Mom says, clean your room. I said, no. Why don't I do it? Because I think I know better. Show up at this time for your curfew and I say, no. Why? Because I think that I know better. Like, 
I'm mature now, I'm becoming my own man, and so I should be able to make my own decisions, and what you think of me is less than who I think I am. So, no. Whenever I rebel, whenever we rebel, it always gets us into trouble. And so when I think I can ask and do things my own way, I get in trouble. And let's just clarify this as well. It's hard, but the truth is, I cannot live in sin, and I cannot live with um, my own way of living, my own way of doing things with a rebellious heart, and think that I can still worship and honor God. Does that make sense? Like, I can't show up in a building here and have been dishonoring to my God throughout the week, going my own way, and then sing my heart out and, and respond to the Lord today and thinking that He's pleased when within my heart there's rebellion or there's bitterness or there's hatred or there's my own way of doing things. You might remember when Jesus said, if that's you, you know, when you come in and you bring your gift and you lay it on the altar, if you've got an issue, you've got to go resolve that issue. I don't care about your gift. i got deep pockets. I don't need your money. I'm after your heart. So go get your heart right, then come back and I'll worship you. And that's good for me to remind myself because his plan is better than mine. And so I can't live with rebellion in my heart and, and think that God's still going to be pleased and going to be honored. It just won't work. So the things that are true of God have always been true. God's ways, his paths, his word, we can always trust in that. It never changes. It doesn't need to. It doesn't need a facelift or to be freshened up. And for those who will focus on God's word and for those who will follow God's word, he said, you'll know the goodness of the Lord and you'll know the love of the Lord. And so let's go back and read this. How many ways of the Lord are loving? All. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Notice, toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. What do you call somebody who keeps commands? Obedient, all right? And so we see somebody here, and the beauty of this is we're talking about a rebellious dude, a rebellious man who says that he can keep the demands of the covenant of God. That's awesome, because that means you've got hope today. It means I've got hope, right? Forget my sin. Forgive my sin, because it's great. World's greatest sinner, but I can follow the demands of your covenant as you're working in me as you do all those things that we talked about in that last little section, that last point. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the commands of His covenant. So to me, that's just a wonderful little thought. Through His Spirit, we can keep these commands. And what He says is we can know some things. We can know the love of the Lord. We can know the goodness of the Lord. We can know the faithfulness of the Lord. These are realities. So when I ask you this morning early about being amazed by God, that's a reality. By reality, I mean it is fully experienced. This notion that all we can do is have a thought but not have a reality is not biblical. For example, if it were raining outside today and you went outside and went out under the carport, headed to your car, do you think you would get wet? Do you know you would get wet? Yeah. Would you literally get wet? Yeah, you would experience that. All right, so this isn't just like some kind of get it clear in your head and only God works in our head. It's a 
present reality. He's a very present God in our time of help and trouble. Right? He's there. He's a very personal God. He's in us. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives where? In me. So this is real. So if there's a separation from reality for you where you know something to be true, but you're not experiencing living that truth, it could be because there's a rebellion in your heart. It could be because there's something in the way. David experienced that. We've experienced it as well. But our sin will always separate us. World's greatest sinners need a world's greatest God. And He's promised to be this personal, very real and present God in our life. The bottom line of this today is everybody lives their life by some standard rule or philosophy. Everybody on the planet has something that governs their life. There's two ways here. One's a way of rebellion. Rebellion against God. You can go that route. So can I and think that we're going to be okay and turn out well. Or there's the other that submits to the demands of his covenant. For those who do that, he says, you'll know that all my ways are right. You'll know even though it's hard what you're experiencing, that it's good. You know that you can't see the outcome. Some things are unknown to you right now, but there will be peace. You ever had peace? I mean, that's a God thing if ever, right? I should be panicked. I should be worried. I should be fretting and stewing out of my mind. My situation hasn't changed at all. And I have a peace, a very real, unexplainable, inexpressible peace. What's that? That's God. He's real. He works. He's this personal God. He's very present. So remember some things, and one is remember that God's plans are always better than our own. And so if we can make our claim to fame this morning, if we had the t-shirt, it would say world's greatest sinners. Maybe yours would say something else. You're probably great at something really fantastic. Mine that would trump everything about me from my end would be that I'm the world's greatest sinner. But the beauty of this is this is something I can shake. Uh, and thankfully, there is someone there who will help me battle against my heart. So it starts with faith in Jesus Christ. It starts with faith in Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're here today and you've never really trusted in Jesus Christ to be your deliverer. The only way you battle your rebellious self and win is through a greater power that's within you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. You want to battle well? We have to start battling with Christ. Again, that starts with some acknowledgement. I know I'm a great sinner. John Newton said he knew he was a great sinner, but he knew Christ was a great Savior. Two of the greatest statements you could ever make on this planet. Submitted his life to Christ. What a changed man he, he became. And so through faith in Christ, your rebellion will start to be defeated. This new nature will start to be created and you'll find yourself winning where you were losing. And this is the work of Christ in you. We sing that song here in Christ alone. This is the power of Christ in me. He's the commander of my, of my destiny. So this morning, I just want to ask you here, maybe you're struggling in some way or another. Maybe you've got a rebellious heart. Maybe you're running. Maybe you're not sure. 
I've been praying through something here personally, just trying to, what's my heart in this? Is this your heart or my heart? And why are my thoughts this way? And is this my thoughts or your thoughts? And you've got to be still and patient sometimes waiting for God to, to answer these things.